Now, um, I did want to make sure that you have our call-in number. Our number is 281-447-1114. If you have any questions regarding legal matters, please give us a call. Uh, Joanne, myself, uh, John Denholm, uh, we are lawyers with uh, Music and Music, and uh, every day we're in the courtroom. As a matter of fact, uh, John Denholm, uh, one of our associates, is out as we speak in Fort Bend County handling a, um, a criminal matter. So uh, you've got me by myself right now, and I want to start off the conversation by talking about things that could happen to, to you as a listener. Um, and when we talk about criminal charges being filed against uh, an individual, that could happen to anyone. And, um, and the example that I want to use is I want to use cases where family violence is involved. Uh, in a family violence case, uh, there's a lot of times, uh, oftentimes, the complaining witness that was assaulted doesn't want the person that's accused of assaulting them to go to jail. Uh, usually it's a spouse, it's someone that lives with them, it's someone that, that they care significantly about. And uh, the, the state always says, uh, well, we have to prosecute these people because the victim doesn't realize uh, that the, the person cannot continuously get away with that. That, that does hold some water in that argument, but um, the bottom line is, in so many cases, the complaining witness doesn't want to go forward. Um, if you think about uh, some family violence cases that were big in the news of, uh, many years ago, Warren Moon, the quarterback of the Houston Oilers, and his wife Felicia Moon uh, got into a, an argument uh, as a lot of married people do, and um, there were some allegations that uh, Warren Moon assaulted his wife. Felicia did not want him arrested, did not want him prosecuted, but the district attorney's office chose to go forward with that case anyway, although she didn't want him prosecuted. And uh, I explain a lot of times to the clients this very uh, reasoning the law says, thou shalt not hit another person. You shall not assault someone else. So the law itself has penalties for violating that law. If you should be accused of assaulting someone, the state of Texas gets to decide whether they go forward with that case or not. Uh, you can be subpoenaed, the complaining witness against their wishes, can be subpoenaed to court, can be uh, made to testify, even though they don't want to testify, uh, they can be made to testify to what actually occurred and what happened. Um, so uh, if you find yourself in that, in that situation, uh, my advice is that you obtain a lawyer. And when I talk about obtaining a lawyer, it's not only the person that's accused and that will probably be charged and brought into the courtroom, but 
the complaining witness, if that individual does not want to go forward with the criminal charges, then they need to seek out a lawyer so that they can uh, know what their rights are. Um, it's, I believe it's, it's not ethical for the lawyer that's defending the accused to also give advice to the complaining witness. So when someone comes to our office like that, and, and it, it happens regularly, uh, we, I will uh, refer that person out to obtain their own lawyer to advise them. Um, and even though that's, that happens, you still find, uh, as I did myself just recently, that the complainant wants to still ask you questions uh, because you represent their husband or you represent uh, the wife in the case. So the complaining witness is always wanting to ask questions of the lawyer representing the accused. Um, I think that that's a very dangerous trap for a lawyer to get into, and they shouldn't do, uh, the lawyer shouldn't do that. Um, it's, it's just better to have your own lawyer because the, the two uh, parties, although they may agree what they want done on the case, um, there's still a lot of legal questions and a lot of uh, legal ramifications that face the complaining witness if that complaining witness decides they don't want to testify. So uh, definitely uh, always, it's, it's my advice, always to seek out an attorney. If the police want to talk to you, it's because they want to find more evidence. And it's usually not to talk to you so that you can be cleared, but it's so that they can gather more evidence against you. Uh, you have an absolute constitutional right to consult with an attorney, and um, any police officer, and I used to be a police officer, so I can speak from experience, and I can tell you that a police officer should not uh, get upset because you want to talk to a lawyer because you want to make sure that what you're doing is the right thing. And uh, if the police officer is, uh, is honest about what he wants done, uh, he is simply trying to seek out what happened. And he doesn't have a dog or, uh, uh, in the hunt. He's just looking to find out what happened so that he can run that by the district attorney's office so that decisions can be made of whether to prosecute or not prosecute you. So uh, that's my first bit of advice. If you find yourself in a situation where uh, you're the complaining witness, but yet you don't want to uh, go forward with the case, uh, then seek legal advice to find out what your rights are. And um, uh, it'll make things so much easier for you. It'll make things uh, come out with the right results uh, when you do that. So uh, that's a bit of advice for the, uh, for the listeners. Um, and uh, as we go about our day-to-day -day affairs, uh, there is so many different things 
that can occur. Um, you can be just driving down the street, an innocent party, and all of a sudden you witness a crime. And so once you become a witness, um, then the district attorney's office, if the charges are filed in the case, they're going to want you to testify and bring that evidence into court. Uh, without a witness coming forward uh, and testifying, a lot of times they can't make the criminal case. Uh, recently, and we discussed it on one of our previous programs, uh, Jenny, the sexual assault victim, uh, was actually in the courtroom and had a breakdown because she was the complaining witness and she was being questioned on the witness stand <clears throat> and she made a determination that she wasn't going, going to testify anymore. And uh, basically the district attorney's office uh, placed her in custody, put her in jail, and waited until um, till the case uh, was tried before she was even released from the Harris County Jail. Some terrible things happened to her while she was in the jail. She, she became assaulted by an inmate. Um, by, uh, she, got in, she had another breakdown and uh, had problems with the, uh, with the jailers in the Harris County Jail. And she was a complainant. Uh, she did nothing wrong other than uh, she did not think she could take the mental anguish of that testimony. So uh, if you find yourself in a situation where, uh, where you're not sure you're doing the right thing, uh, give a call to the attorney's office. Uh, a lot of, most criminal defense attorneys in Harris County will give uh, initial consultation with no charge to the client. Uh, the client can then find out, uh, you know, what they should actually do uh, in a situation. Um, we've already covered if you're the suspect in the case. Uh, you know, please do not think that you're going to talk the police into releasing you and you no longer being a suspect. Uh, they give a legal warning that says anything you say can be and will be used against you in a court of law. Uh, the reason they give you that, that's true. Whatever you say can be used against you. Maybe the, the police are just having a problem placing you at the scene of the crime. And then you admit to the police, well, yeah, I was there, but I don't know anything at all about that robbery. I don't know anything at all about that burglary. And, but now you've admitted that you were there. So that's a, a, an element that's very important in a lot of criminal investigations. So uh, be careful uh, before talking to the police if you are a suspect or you're the subject of their investigation, um, seek some help and, and get some advice to find out if, in fact, uh, it is beneficial for you to talk with the police. Um, we've had a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things that have uh, 
been in the news lately regarding the criminal justice system. Um, just recently, a, a very interesting case uh, to me came down, and it's talking about, the case itself talks about uh, when a police officer might have reasonable suspicion in actually to arrest you. Uh, the courts have been so liberal with the police departments uh, and with the police officers, law enforcement officers, uh, in deciding that, well, I think that probably the officer did have uh, enough reasonable suspicion. For, for an example, um, pull over a vehicle and a uh, strong odor of cologne is in the vehicle. Uh, the individual is smoking, uh, heavily smoking, cigarettes all in the ashtray of the vehicle, and um, the officer says that right there caused suspicion because he, through his experience as a police officer, he knows that sometimes people try to cover up the odor of, uh, of narcotics and that smoking will, will actually hide that, cologne will hide that. So that was one of the things that started uh, giving him enough reasonable suspicion to take the individual into custody. The courts finally looking at that saying, you know what, a lot of people, normal people wear cologne, normal people smoke, that's nothing to indicate that someone is involved in narcotic activity because of that, uh, you're going to need more. And so I think as the police abuse their authorities um, to, to make these, these reasonable suspicious arrests, um, then they, they start losing that power. Uh, now, I've got some real good news for you. Um, Joanne just came into the studio. She's having a little trouble with her headset right now, but uh, hopefully she'll get it up and going. And um, let me. Uh, so, well, it looks like mine is the All only. Right. There I am. There hello, she is. hello, hello. <laughs> Sorry to leave you hanging there. Were you talking about the court opinion this morning out of the seventh court? I seventh? was. Uh, the, oh, I was so awesome. excited to hear walk an in. Awesome one. Yeah, driving here, I'm listening to the show. I heard your uh, your advice on the uh, family violence assault cases. Uh, couldn't be any more spot on. Um, and then as I, I had to cut off my radio as I'm getting out of the car and walking into the building, so I missed the transition there to this uh, seventh uh, court of appeals case out of Amarillo this morning. Um you know, I'm, I'm so glad you started in, in on this case because I want to read to you just the very beginning of that opinion uh, issued on, well, October the 5th. Um, this is by the 7th Court of Appeals out of Amarillo, Texas. It's on appeal out of the 108th District Court in Potter County, Texas. Um, very interesting. The opinion starts with... Uh, Joe, and back up for the listeners just so they understand that what happens is when you're in the courtroom, the court's going to rule on the admissibility 
of certain things of the arrest. Well, yeah, let me back up and set this case up just a little bit, because I read this opinion this morning, um, and a little hat tip to uh, Brian Weiss for pointing it out early this morning. He's a lawyer here in town, does some great work. Um, He pointed out this opinion. I immediately read it, uh, popped it up on Twitter. That's been like the most exciting Twitter conversation all day today. Uh, But so what happens is in the district court, in the criminal court, uh, a person, um, uh, Elvis Ramirez Tamayo, was accused of uh, in, in a drug case, and they had a motion to suppress. A motion to suppress is a legal hearing in front of the court where the court decides whether or not evidence is going to get to come into evidence, say, in front of a jury or in front of the judge during a trial. So, um, The motion to suppress, usually filed by the defense, says, Your Honor, we have a reason to believe this evidence was improperly, illegally, or what have you obtained, Um, and so we want you to rule that this evidence would not be admissible or usable by the prosecution in a jury trial. So, uh, to back up just a little bit here, the 108th District Court said, Ah, you're wrong, this evidence is coming in. So, losing the motion to suppress... The defendant took a deal, um, but when you take that deal, you get to appeal that ruling. And this is the appellate court here in Texas um, grading the papers, if you will, of the trial court. So these judges, uh, Quinn, Campbell, and Pirtle, uh, they sit on the appellate bench. They're reviewing the work of uh, Judge Woodburn out in Potter County. They start with first paragraph. We reverse. Not a whole lot said there, but gives you the entirety of the opinion there. We reverse because we think the judge was wrong. But here's what's, what everyone is talking about today. I'm calling it intellectual honesty, which is something that is so rare in appellate opinions. Um, and what I mean by that is I think appellate judges in a lot of cases go out of their way to find a reason or an excuse to affirm convictions even where they find error. Do you find that's the case, Earl? Absolutely. Um, And as you well know, a lot of cases, even where the court, the the error is so obvious that the court will, uh, will have to admit that there was error, then they will say, however, it's harmless. Error. Yeah, that's always a favorite too. Yeah, there was error. This was wrong. Ah, eh, but it was harmless. But in this case, we get the Court of Appeals saying, uh, I'm going to read you the first part. I'm going to skip over the citations to other cases, So, but just read you the first paragraph. A logical reasoning sequence based upon some training and experience because drug traffickers have been, bre- have been seen breathing then breathing is indicia of drug trafficking. Because they normally have two hands, the having of two hands is an indicia of drug smuggling. Silly, maybe, but one can wonder, is that the direction we are heading? Whether it be driving a clean vehicle or looking at a peace officer or looking away from a peace officer or a young person driving a newer vehicle someone driving in a car with meal wrappers, 
I know none of us eat fast food in the car, right? Um, or someone driving carefully, or someone driving on an interstate, most anything can be considered as an indication of drug trafficking to law enforcement. And then they go on and on and on and say, you know, all of these cases have said, yep, looking away from the police, that must mean you're involved in criminal activity. Oh, looking at the police must mean you're involved in criminal activity. So what the court's getting at here in this case is the silly excuses that courts have given time and time and time again to law enforcement to confirm their suspicions. Innocent behaviors that police officers are now saying, well, that means he's a drug trafficker. You have fast food bags in the car. You must be a drug trafficker. And I think this was an interesting case also because the driver was actually doing three miles over the speed limit, and that's why the, the officer stopped him in the first place. Um, and the officer uh, told him, why are you nervous? Uh, <laughs> you know... I think everybody that stops is pretty nervous. I mean, you can be doing nothing and the police pull you over. Don't you always get that tingling? You start, your heart races, you're jittery. You're thinking, oh no, what's going to happen now? Right? Absolutely. And I uh, do it. I can be driving the speed limit. I can be going down the freeway and a police car come up behind me really fast. And I think, oh, my God, he's fixing to pull me over. And and I get nervous. And, <laughs> and, and he hadn't even put his lights on, and he's not even pulling you over. But you're no, nervous, right? Correct. Yeah. And uh, um, and, and think about when when they, they they finally switch lanes and then zoom around you. And then the you feeling go, got. <laughs> Woo, that felt good. They just left me. You know, and, and this is the thing. You're, you know, you're talking about somebody here that was speeding just, you know, uh, 78 miles an hour in a posted 75 mile an hour speed limit. Um, and then the officer said he uh, as he approached the passenger side, not the driver's side, but the passenger side, instead of lowering the window, the driver, I mean, or the passenger opened the door instead. This became to what the, this became what the officer described as suspicious based on his training and experience. Um, he says when the door came open, he could smell cigarette smokes, cigarette smoke, and cologne. Well, last time I checked, smoking cigarettes not a crime. Probably not a good idea, but it's not a crime unless you're under eighteen. And wearing cologne, probably not a crime either, unless maybe it stinks really bad. I don't know. Uh, but you know, this is innocent behavior that the police want to say. Well, that's my training and experience. This is the way drug traffickers act. Therefore, I have a reason to search these people. And and I think uh, I always read between the lines when I when I see a case like this. It appears to me that um, that that driver was targeted for one reason or the other. Uh, he was pulled over. Uh, I have a feeling that the police officer knew that he was looking for. Uh, drugs, uh, possibly had a tip and didn't want to uh, uh, to tell the whole story. And so once they find the narcotics, then they've got to sit down and, and map out some sort of uh, reasoning that gets them the reasonable suspicion that they need. The courts, and, and trust me, I, as a police officer, 
being able to stop someone for reasonable suspicion is a good thing. It's not something that we don't want uh, to happen, but we don't want to abuse it either. Well, and that's uh, a good that's a good point you make there, Earl. Um, you know, it, I think officers should be able to use legitimate, reasonable suspicion to investigate potential criminal activity. Uh, because otherwise, you know, I mean, crime's going to run rampant, and, and nobody wants that. Um, and so you look at this, and you want legitimate action, but is that what we're seeing? You, you mentioned, you know, police abusing this. How does that get abused? Well, uh, several things happen, uh, and... and let me make a point of why it is important to to be able to stop someone on reasonable suspicion. Uh, the patrol officer is going through the neighborhood. It's uh, three o'clock in the morning. Uh, everything's pretty well shut down. There's not not any cars or anything about, and they observe an individual that's up in a person's front yard. Appears to be looking through the windows appears to be uh, casing the house, um, that's not to say for sure that that person's involved in criminal activity because maybe it's the homeowner himself. Uh, but it, you know, every one of us would want that police officer to at least stop and detain that person to find out what they're doing out there in this neighborhood at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, walking around this house looking in the windows. Um, you would want a police officer to be able to do that. And Well, that, and that's certainly suspicious activity, but that's a far cry different from wearing cologne. Correct. And, and, <laughs> and then uh, because the courts have, have set this aside and allowed police officers to do that, uh, then you have some police officers, and it's always the the police officers that abuse the authority that that causes you to end up losing it. But, um, like, my suspicion, if it's true in this case, they were looking for a reason to stop that vehicle and search that vehicle and recover the narcotics because they knew it was there. Right. And uh, so they make up this uh, these facts that that are innocent behavior. Well, and that's the thing too. You're talking about um, you know the potential for police officers to abuse the position that they have and the authority that they have uh, by claiming that innocent behavior is indicative of criminal behavior. And so when I read that first paragraph of the opinion, each one of those examples: driving a clean vehicle, looking at a police officer, looking away from a police officer being really young but in a newer car, uh, you know, driving with meal wrappers, fast food in the car. Each one of those examples, and I told you I was skipping over the citations, the court showed every one of those examples came from a court case where an officer used that exact example as a reason to believe someone was involved in criminal activity. So what I see there and, and what I'm hearing you say makes sense because these are officers that are totally abusing 
their authority and their power and using anything and everything in their means to try to pull someone over. Absolutely, and it's it's one of the reasons that uh, it is important to uh, to contact an attorney uh, if you find yourself charged with something like this, uh, because uh, the attorneys are able to look at it. We can definitely take a look at that. We're going to take a real quick break here. I want to just give you our a little shout out to our number two eight one four four seven. 1114. In case you have any questions, give us a call. We'll try to answer them. Um, we'll, be back, we'll be back with you in just a minute. I've never seen a diamond in the flesh. I cut my teeth on wedding rings in the movies. And I'm not proud of my dress. In the torn up town, no postcode envy. But every song is like cold teeth, gray goes dripping in the bathroom, blood stains, ball gowns, trash in the hotel room. We don't care. We're driving Cadillacs in our dreams. But everybody's like crystal, Maybach, diamonds on your timepiece, jet planes, islands, tigers on a gold leash. We don't care. We aren't caught up in your love affair And we'll never be royal It's a run in our blood That kind of love just ain't for us We crave a different kind of buzz Let me be your ruler You can call me Queen Bee Baby, I'll rule Let me live that fantasy My friends and I, we've cracked the code We count our dollars on the train to the party And everyone who knows us knows That we're fine with this We didn't come from money But every song's like gold teeth, gray goes dripping in the bathroom Blood stains, ball gowns, trash in the hotel room Let me live that fantasy. 
and welcome back. You're listening to Legally Speaking with Music and Music. I'm Joanne Music, and I'm here in the studio today with Earl Music. Um, we're about halfway through the program, and uh, want to kind of ch- jump topics here and talk about a couple of other things that have happened. Um, uh, I'm not really sure where to start because I love all these topics, <laughs> Earl. Um, you know, first one that comes to mind is the. Uh, Los Angeles, well, actually, it's from the L.A. Times, but the state of California has just passed a law signed by the governor last week on Friday uh, that says prosecutors can receive up to three years in prison for altering or intentionally withholding evidence that defendants might have been able to use to exonerate themselves. Previously, under the California law, it was a misdemeanor. Now they have elevated that to a felony. We don't have a, to be clear, we do not have a similar statute here in Texas. So as it stands here, prosecutor has the same duty to disclose information that might be helpful to a defendant, but at the same time, there's really no penalty for violating that in Texas, at least not a criminal penalty. And, and not only, uh, well, you say not not at least a criminal uh, uh, a penalty, but also the prosecutor almost has absolute immunity as long as uh, they're acting within the courtroom. Uh, so uh, where when a police officer violates uh, your rights, you could actually turn around and sue the police officer because they only have what's called qualified immunity and you could prevail and receive a lot of money. Uh, recently, uh, Harris County uh, had to pay a multi-million dollar judgment uh, in a case where, where Harris County was sued for violating the, the individual's rights. Right. And so, you know, you make a good point there. Not to say that it's easy to sue the police. It's definitely not. But if, if the court finds that a police officer has violated your constitutional rights, you can bring what's called, well, not if the court finds, you can bring a suit and the court may find that the officer violated your rights under a 19, what we call a 1983 action because that comes from the United States Code Section 1983. And uh, it's a civil rights violation and you can be awarded money money or monetary damages for that officer's uh, abuse of his authority, basically. Uh, but nothing exists like that really for prosecutors because they have pretty much absolute immunity. Where I where I say though that there's a potential that the officer can, I mean that the district attorney or the prosecutor might have uh, problems would be in the disciplinary rules. And so the state bar of Texas uh, licenses lawyers, and any lawyer, prosecutor or not, can be brought before the board on a complaint. And we're seeing that happen. And just this past year, the disciplinary committee sanctioned a prosecutor for violating uh, what we call Brady, but for intentionally withholding evidence. And that was, uh, I believe, the Schultz case up out of Dallas. Uh, but they, ba- what they said is that even though the court may not be able to do anything, the prosecutor's ethical duty was greater and so under what we call our disciplinary rules, Rule 309, the prosecutor could be sanctioned from the state bar. And, and that's, that's very important. Uh, and you only have to go back uh, 
several years to look at the Michael Martin case. Uh, here you have an individual uh, up in Williamson County, um, and he goes off to work, and while he is at work, uh, someone breaks into his home, and they beat his wife to death with a log. Uh, and unfortunately, I believe that their son was like five years old. I think old. he was three. Three, three or four. Yeah. But the, the small child actually apparently witnessed some of this, and um, the child came forward and tells the grandmother that, no, it wasn't daddy, it was a monster that killed mommy. And she immediately tells the prosecutor, and that's just one little small piece of evidence that they kept from the defense, and they ended up convicting Michael Morton of uh, murder. He went to prison. I think he spent 20 25, some, 25 years. 25 years in prison uh, for a murder that he didn't commit. And they, they hid evidence. They, they kept evidence from coming forward. Once all the evidence did come forward, the evidence actually identified a serial killer that had killed Michael Morton's wife. That person, while, uh, while Michael Morton was in prison for a crime he didn't commit, that person committed another murder of another uh, female, uh, very much uh, the same type of situation. So uh, not only does the, does the prosecutor have an ethical duty, um, in that case, there were some uh, some things that uh, uh, that that they could charge him criminally with, and I believe that uh, the prosecutor in that case ended up spending three days in jail. Well, he did, and he did not get prosecuted criminally because the statute of limitations had already run, and there was, Texas does not have a statute that criminalizes the withholding or hiding of evidence. Uh, but what they did in that case is uh, formed a court, what we call a court of inquiry, where uh, they held court. Rusty Harden acted as the prosecutor in that case. Rusty Harden's a local um very famous lawyer here in town that handles a lot of criminal cases and some civil cases. But um, anyway, he handled that on behalf of the government as a special prosecutor and charged and convicted Ken Anderson of hiding evidence. Ultimately, he was given a sentence in that case of 10 days, and I believe he had to serve three of those. Um, so, yeah, but that was not because of a criminal statute. It was because the court convened under a special provision, what we call a court of inquiry, uh, very difficult to do, very complicated process, uh, and it took years, years and years for that to even happen. So what I see happening out in California, you know, is, is something that's much bigger than that. They've actually come forward and said, it's a crime. Prosecutors should not be withholding evidence. They used to say it was a misdemeanor. Now they say it's a felony. Do you think Texas ought to have such a law? I, I believe they should. Uh, I, I believe that uh, that when someone causes someone to spend uh, any of them, uh, to lose their liberty, uh, they should have also um, the possibility of losing their liberty. 
Yeah, and I think it makes sense. You know, a lot of prosecutors fight back and say, you know what, it's it's so rare that it happens. We don't hide evidence. We don't need a criminal law to tell us that it's bad to hide evidence because we don't do it anyway. And my answer to that is sort of, if you don't do it anyway, what does it, ha- what does it hurt having a statute that forbids it and criminalizes it? You won't have to worry about getting prosecuted because you don't do it anyway. But it would send a message and it would be serve as a strong deterrent to prosecutors across the state that we will not tolerate that type of behavior. It, it, puts, uh, it puts it in a serious light uh, where the prosecutors would, would have to look at, uh, is this, and, and you said Brady material, is it, is it something that we should give to the, to the defense? Um, and instead of making excuses for why they don't, um, in the uh, David Temple case, uh, David Temple, right? Yeah, let's, let's Temple, talk about uh, that. Is uh, is an example where Kelly um, Kelly Siegler, Siegler uh, local she prosecutor, felt, former she, prosecutor now. Yeah, she felt that if she didn't believe that the evidence was um, was uh, uh, was correct, then she didn't have any duty to give that to the uh, defense, and that's, that's not what the law says. The law says you will uh, provide the defense with that. Well, and the interesting thing that you bring up about that is that, you know, Kelly Siegler did testify in the writ hearing for David Temple that she did have information that could have potentially exonerated David Temple, but it was information that she did not believe and so, and it was contrary to her prosecution theory. She did not believe it. So because she did not believe it, she had no duty to turn it over. And the interesting thing about that, she made, she gave that testimony, I want to say around, uh, it was December, January of, um, was it last year already? It's been yes. a year ago, uh, of 2015. And um, December of 2014 into January of 2015, she gave that testimony, and then it was in 2016 that the Schultz case came out uh, from the disciplinary court and said, from the disciplinary rules, said, you know what, we're taking that decision away from the prosecutor. You do not get to decide if you believe it or not. That's not your job. Your job is simply to pass it on. So they they were very firm in their opinion and said, we are not going to let you make, you as the prosecutor, make a judgment call. If you know it, if you find it, and you have a duty to seek it out. But if you know it, you've got to turn it over whether you believe it or not. So, you know, I think that's kind of where, you know, California is already headed. And Texas, I think, is finally catching up. I hate to even think that California <laughs> might be ahead of us. Well, uh, apparently on this issue, they, they're way ahead. And... um um, it's, you know, you've, you've got to have penalties for, um, for violating the law. And, um, if you, if you have a law and there's no penalty, uh, there's actually no incentive for someone to, um, to, uh, follow or right. not there's, follow that law. There's no incentive to follow the law if there's no penalty for not following it. Correct. 
Yeah, makes perfect sense to me. And uh, it kind of makes me think of something else that you and I were talking about earlier. Uh, we were talking about um, when you, you talk about the penalties there, uh, it's when a police officer orders someone to do something. Um, and you and I were discussing it. It seems that the simple thing would be um, that the individual should uh, follow those directions as long as it's uh, not something that's that you know places them in danger or yeah or in a and, bad situation. And and let me back up just a little bit to give our listeners some context uh, to what you and I were talking about that brought up this. And I'm I'm glad you brought us to this because I wanted to talk about this today. Uh, Senator Whitmire, a great uh, congressman here in the state who is heavily involved in criminal justice reform. Uh, is quoted as saying and presenting he is he is proposing legislation this session um, to require the Texas Education Agency to develop a curriculum in law enforcement duties and interactions. His under his legislation, Texas ninth graders would be would actually go to a class where they are taught how to properly interact with police when they're stopped on traffic or if they're detained for any other reason. So I think what, I got to give him credit for opening the door and starting the discussion. We have a whole lot going on around the nation where we have a lot of distrust of the police, uh, especially from minority communities. They have a lot of distrust of the police and, and sometimes for very good reason. Uh, but so what he's trying to do is start a discussion or a curriculum with students in the ninth at the ninth grade level that would require them to learn how to better interact with police. And I think that's great, but I'd like to see the police also learn how to better interact with citizens. Uh, and I'm afraid that his proposed legislation is going to create a curriculum in our schools that teaches kids potentially to give up their rights, to uh, respond to law enforcement's every whim. Um, you know, I, I, I'm very, I like, I'm, I'm split on this one. I like it and I think it's a great idea, but I think it is, it has to be done with this, an extreme amount of caution because you, you know, you may develop this curriculum, but individual teachers in individual classrooms across the state are each going to potentially teach it a little bit different. And what if the teacher starts teaching, you know what, Earl, uh, if you ever get stopped by the police, they ask you to search their car, you better let them search. And that's absolutely wrong. Every person has a right to refuse that search. If the officer has reason, he can go get a warrant, or he may have probable cause that allows him to get around the warrant. But you know, we don't want to start teaching kids that they just have to do whatever law enforcement tells them to because that's the safe thing to do. And the other side of that of that argument, uh, and the reason that I, that I applaud uh, Senator, Senator Whitmire's uh, proposal, um, we we do tend to tell our our kids that look, you don't have to let the police officer search the car. You can tell him no. And if the police officer, uh, if you tell him no, and the police officer has 
probable cause to search that car, then the police officer by force can actually search that car legally, and whatever that police officer finds would be admitted into evidence. So a little bit of knowledge of the law sometimes is, uh, is dangerous. And for the, the, the young man or young lady to stand out there and say, officer, you're not going to search my car. And, you know, if you try to search my car, I'm going to stop you. Well, now you're resisting, and uh, the law doesn't even allow you to resist an unlawful arrest. You have to submit to an unlawful arrest. Well, and that's the thing, too. Whitmire was quoted as saying, you know, if you feel like the officer did something wrong, you do not take it up with them on the street. You take it up with an administrator or in court. You take it up with the judge or you take it up through a uh, complaint with the internal affairs division of that police officer's uh, employment. But but that's, you know, and that's that's absolutely the right message is that you do not want to confront the officer on the street because the officer's going to win. He's going to win that confrontation. But at the same time, I, I'm, I'm afraid that the message might be through this, through this legislation is to ninth graders who, who may not truly understand their constitutional rights, from teachers who don't truly understand constitutional rights, Teachers may be teaching these young kids, you know what, if the officer wants to search your car, you let him. And that's not the right message. You know, if the officer wants to ask you questions, you answer them. And that's not the right message. If an officer wants to ask you questions other than giving him your true and correct name, you do not have to answer those questions. And so my advice to, would be in these schools that we need to teach our, our kids to be respectful, to be you know, calm, but also just simply say, I want a lawyer. If you, my name is Joanne Music, and I want a lawyer. And the officer cannot continue to ask you questions at that point. If the officer has a valid reason to arrest you, he's going to do it anyway. It's not going to matter what you say, and so there's no reason to have that conversation with the officer on the street. Exercise your right to a lawyer, in the conversation and worry about it down at the courthouse. Correct, and 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 that's really good advice. I um, and the same back with the car. You say no. Can, can I search your car? And you say no. And that may be the end of it. Or if the officer has a valid reason, he may say, you know what? I appreciate the fact that you said no, but I'm gonna have you step out of the car. I'm gonna place you in the back seat of my car while I search anyway. If that happens, you let him do it anyway. But you said no. And that's all that needed to happen. And now your lawyer can fight about that in court. He either had a legitimate reason to search or he didn't, but you didn't give him the right to search. And, and, and that's, that's real important because um, the officer might not have a legitimate reason to search your car. Uh, but if you say, oh, sure, officer, go ahead and search. I, I've got nothing to hide. And then the officer does search and finds narcotics or, or drugs, claims to find something. Uh, then, um, then you have uh, you've given you have up your given right. Given up your right. Uh, the case that you that we talked about earlier was a narcotic case, and um, the uh, court said, you know what, the officer didn't have a right 
to, to continuously detain the individual, and because of that, the search and the evidence is uh, inadmissible and will not be used against uh, that person. And that's the Elvis case we were talking about in the first half of the show. Correct. And um, so... I love calling uh, it the Elvis case because that just sounds cool. You know, cool. Had, had Elvis immediately told the officer, officer, I don't have anything at all to hide. If you want to search my car, go ahead and search it. Then, then we wouldn't be discussing the suppression issue that that case ended up ruling in favor of. And, you know, interesting thing that pops into my head when you say that, I hear this all the time from friends, not around the courthouse, but non-lawyers, non-courthouse people. They say, oh, well, that's just letting someone off on a technicality. Is that just a technicality? It's, it's definitely not a technicality. It's, it's an absolute right that we have uh, in this country. Um, we have rights. And, uh, those are not technicalities. Those are not technicalities. Uh, the police, the prosecutor, um, people in authority should respect those rights. Um, and, uh, and, and when they don't, the, there should they be don't, consequences, which might be. mean somebody that had drugs in their car goes free. Absolutely. And you know what? And that's the that's the price we pay in a civilized society to put a check and balance on the police or on law enforcement, on prosecution. We it's a check and balance on our government that we've got to, you know, if they don't follow all the rules, then the person just goes free. Believe it or not, um, that in itself causes much better law enforcement. Uh, Police officers don't want to spend their time booking someone into the jail, uh, charging them with a criminal act, only to see that person get out of jail because they didn't do things correctly. Uh, so the next time the police officer will, will try to do things correctly, they'll correct their mistakes that they made, well, sort and they'll of get it right. But if the court continuously allows it to happen and continuously says it's harmless error, then why should the police officer go to all that trouble? Well, and that's, you know, kind of going back to what I said earlier, you know, the appellate courts grade the papers of the trial courts. It's kind of like being in school and, you know, you're, you're in your history class and you weren't paying attention, you didn't learn very much, and you take the test and the comes back to you from the teacher all marked up in red, right, because you got everything wrong. So... What does that do? That teaches you to study, teaches you to do better, teaches you you've got to actually work at this and learn it, right? So if we don't grade the officer's paper and fail him now and again, he doesn't ever learn to do it correctly. You, you, have, to, you have to let the officer know um, that, that they made a mistake. Uh, I, I don't think that, that police officers intentionally... Uh, go out just to violate uh, people's rights. Uh, police, but officers, they learn bad behaviors. Well, they learn. They learn the bad behavior because uh, they get away with doing that, and so that's that's how you. That's kind of how you learn. If you if you took the shortcut, if uh, if that teacher uh, gave you a good grade when you didn't really make a good grade, then 
What has it taught you? It's taught you, I don't have to study like, like those idiots that are studying. <laughs> I can go and party and have fun, and I don't need to know that stuff because I'm still going to pass. And so uh, I, I like the analogy of the paper. You, you do have to continuously grade the police officers and make sure that they are doing things the right way because these are freedoms that we have and we need to uh, we need to honor those freedoms. And that's kind of you know brings me back to where we were in the first half of the show is you know this grading the papers. We the, and that's the whole reason this particular uh, seventh court of appeals case out of Amarillo was even a topic of discussion today is because the appellate court actually called them out on it, and that is so rare. It's, it's refreshing, but it's so rare. Now, I, I will give a quick little shout-out to uh, Justice uh, Alcala on the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. She's been writing some dissents out there um, with some intellectual honesty and trying to do the right thing. So I, I don't want to say it's all the judges, but we've got a lot of appellate judges that are simply giving the police a pass and it's leading to bad behavior. So it's so refreshing when we see this uh, opinion come out that where they, where the court actually said, you know, police can't have it both ways. Everything somebody does cannot be suspicious. And, and one thing before we do close, we're running out of time, but um, uh, I see that we went the whole program again without any calls. Uh, <laughs> if you are listening to our program and you do want to tune in next week, uh, think of some things to uh, to talk about and give us a call. Uh, the number is 281-447-1114. And you can also hit us up on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Our Twitter is at LegalSpeakMM. And uh, you can catch us on any of those uh, social media apps. And send us your questions there, and we'll get you an answer. Uh, call us uh, during, next week during the live show. You can even pick up our podcast. Uh, it's, you'll find it on Facebook and Twitter as well after the show. But, you know, send us your questions. We'd love to answer them for you. And that about wraps it up for us today. I want to thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll be here next week every Thursday, 2 to 3 p.m., when I'm not late. Uh, but thanks to Earl for covering. But every Thursday, 2 to 3, and happy to answer your questions. No foolish dreams to make me cry. I'm never frightened or worried. I know I'll always